Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben, and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, we're chatting with a guy whose job is the envy of us all. Hey family, hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode 124 of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Kevin Coleman, who is the head grill master at Weber, which is the job that I'm sure all of us wish we could have. And we're going to find out all about that. But before we get into that, I just got a couple of announcements that I need to run by you. The first is that we do still have our free ebook available for you over on smokinghotconfessions.com. It's the beginner's guide to real barbecue. So if you're at the start of your barbecue journey, if you're just getting into real barbecue and in, in, into low and slow, make sure you head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com, have a bit of a click around, a bit of a look around, and a pop-up will, um, it, it, it'll, it'll pop up, and it'll ask you for your details, pop them in, and we'll send them straight to your, to your inbox. We'll send that mini ebook through to you. Um, okay, the second one is that we are still scouting for businesses to partner with for our podcast. If you uh, have a message that you'd like to get out into the eyes and ears of some raving mad barbecue fans, shoot me an email, ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's get that conversation started. The next one is, oh, of course, yes, this episode's sponsor is Meat and Fire Media Services. So they're a, a business that, that offers photography, videography, uh, brand awareness, training, all that sort of stuff to different businesses, um, particularly with a focus on, on barbecue-style businesses. So if you're listening to this, you've got a barbecue business and you're looking to build your brand through social media. They do have a course running at the moment. It's called Brand Building Through Strategic Social Media Marketing. Head on over to meetandfiremediaservices.com. Use the code word podcast at checkout. You'll save 100 bucks off their flagship course there. So that's very good of them to do that for us. And the last one, if you're watching this video on Facebook, give us a like and a share. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, a subscribe, and hit that little notification bell. If you're on Instagram TV, give us a little heart and a follow. And if you're listening on a podcasting app, do give us a five-star rating and review because they are incredibly very helpful for us. So this app, as I said, Kevin is a man whose job is the envy of everyone here, uh, in, including myself. Uh, he's based in Chicago, Illinois, and he is the head grill master for Weber. So without further ado, let's get Kevin in here. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Alrighty, Kevin, welcome to the confessional, my friend. Thank you for joining me. And thank you so much for having us. This is so exciting to be talking to some people down under, which I've spent a fair amount of time in communication with a lot of you guys. So it's great to be actually talking to you today. Yeah, I, I understand that you do have quite a bit of a, a, a long history talking barbecue with us Aussies down here. So it, it is great to bring you into the show. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. One of the first, first times I got to interact with some of the, the guys from down under was the suck knuckle smokers. And they came up here and did a whole barbecue lesson with them. And I'm still friends, still talk to Craig, still follow those guys and all the success that they've had, which has been fantastic. And, you know, I mean, you know, you're in barbecue. Let me, let me, let me start that over. You know, you know, barbecue and are in a barbecue. If you've got the right attire, right? I mean, anybody in barbecue has got to have the maca stuff, right? I mean, if you all got it, you're not in barbecue. So I want to make sure we rep that because this is some of the coolest and best stuff that I've gotten. And I knew I made it in barbecue when I got this stuff made for me. So we're, we've extremely got great ties to Australia and the great barbecue culture that you guys have there. And we're so excited to be talking to you. 
I was actually going to ask about that because that was the first thing that I noticed. The the second thing was what a beautiful lawn you've got. That that grass behind you is just incredible. Um, we we don't have a lot of water here in Australia, so to see beautiful green grass like that is just inspiring. But no, I it was the Macca gear. I was like, woohoo! There you go. Uh, you, you know, it's 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 funny because he had texted me over or he had information me over Instagram. He's like, hey, Kevin. Uh, I was like, I got to get some. Like, I was like, I, I can't. So I was talking to one of the guys at Weber and I was like, Hey, you think I can get my team the knife rolls? It'd be, it'd be a nice gift. We've been working our tails off traveling all over the place. Like, absolutely. And so it was, it was one of the coolest moments to be able to present them all with the maca rolls with their names on them and the kettles on them. And he's like, there's so many people asking me, can I get the kettle on mine and everything else? And so, I mean, it's, he, he is such a class act. I mean, the quality of his stuff and I brought the apron in and everybody's like, we got to get these aprons. These are absolutely crazy. So, you know, it's, it's so great that barbecue reaches around the world, but it's so important that we take care of those, those small businesses that just provide some of that great quality things that, I mean, you talk to anybody, Moe's got them, Tuffy's got them, uh, Wayne Mueller from Louis Miller's got them, which I do a lot. I mean, everybody in barbecue that is somebody has these things. So it's pretty cool. Harry Sue, yes, Ben, you got one too. So it's so cool how much that is translated over to here and how it's really become a staple in that bar in our barbecue community. It's really awesome. It has, yeah. And it's it's kind of um indicative of the resurgence of of artisanal craftsmanship that sort of come back into things as well after after decades of just mass production. Um it's it's really wonderful, and I've I've met Macker a couple of times, and he's just a top guy. So it's it's really it, it makes me really happy to you know jump on a podcast interview here with you and see that you've got the Macker gear there. So good, gotta have it. And, and the cool thing is, like he made he made a couple for my daughters, which theirs are even better than mine because he actually took the thermometer holder and put the kettle in theirs. So they've actually oh, got wow. upgraded ones. They, they got they got more custom stuff than Dad does this time, which is really cool. So you know he it's just. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like you said, the artisanal work that he does, the craftsmanship that goes into that, the quality of it. I mean, I would say, you know, like when you unbox a Weber, when you're getting your first Weber, there is like this excitement and like, you know, I still have it right now. Goosebumps going up. You got a Weber. Like when you open up a box from him and that smell of leather and quality comes out, there's nothing like it in anything I've ever, my cowboy boots that I've gotten that are custom. There's nothing like the smell of something coming out of Maca over here that just, you, you just, you're just like, Oh my God, everybody that walks by is like, can you smell the quality? I mean, this, this apron's probably nine months to a year old and I can still smell the high quality leather. I mean, it's just, it's just spectacular. Yeah. He does some great stuff. Yeah. Alrighty. So uh, what was the last thing that you barbecued my friend? Actually the last, the last thing I barbecued, I actually did a charity dinner this past weekend, which, you know, it's, it's really fun that over the last five years, um, I've been fortunate enough that to partner with charities. And so they auction off a three hour experience with me. And over the last six years, five, six years, we've been able to donate over $60,000 to charities. And so wow. part of that dinner, part of that dinner was doing a Wagyu brisket from Snake River Farms was doing a, a pastrami brisket, which we uh, have a special way of doing that. And then we did a Wrangler roast that is patented out of New York, Lobel's, who's a top butcher in the U.S., third in the world. You will never have a cut like this ever. And so we did a whole meat science experience seasoning. I did this whole dinner. And for that dinner, we raised over $10,000 for um, uh, military families in need here. So it was really fantastic. So that was the last thing that I cooked on a grill, um, which was all night Friday on my smoke fire 
into Saturday and then grilled on my queue, which is huge for you guys. So I did Wagyu steaks, prime steaks, prime from Lobel's and then choice. And we did a whole meat science experience and how to, you know, the difference in taste and everything else. But I put 16 eight ounce fillets on a Q1200, which you don't think that thing's big, but that thing packs power. And I know the Q's a big grill down there. So yes, I use them here too. Although I have a lot of firepower in my backyard. That is one of my favorite grills to cook. Yeah, I can I can see that you've certainly got a couple there. That that charity work is it is awesome. I'm going to loop back to that a bit later on. But what I want to get into right now is uh, what can you tell me about that Wrangler cut? So the Wrangler cut, so Lobel's patented this cut, and it comes out of the forequarter. It's surrounded by some undesirable muscles, and they figured out how to fabricate this thing out, and it almost looks like a catcher's mitt when you get it. It's, it's like meaty on one side, it thins itself out, but it is absolutely, it's almost like a brisket. It, it doesn't cook like a brisket because it cooks a little hot and fast, but it is so unbelievably tender. And they put, they have this special barbecue sauce that they put on it. That it's their, their recipe. And there is nothing. And I mean, nothing. And I've been, I've taught barbecue in over 16 different countries. I've been around the world. There is nothing as good as a Lobel's Wrangler roast. I mean, it is so unique, so flavorful. I mean, Mark and David, they are fifth generation butchers. They are some of the best people that I've ever come across when it comes to meat, meat quality, um, consistency. It's one of those things that when I cook for our board, when I cook for the executives at Weber, there's only one phone call that I make for meat, and that's to the guys in New York and say, hey, I need your help. And they always come and deliver, always. That's awesome. Yeah, so they just like dry, dry ice it over to you. They dry ice it over, and they're one of the only companies in the U.S. that ships perishable. So they will ship, and it lands in your in your front door by 10 a.m. It's absolutely awesome. Oh, wow. And then when you cool. know the boxes are stacked up, you're like, this is going to be a good meal we're going to have here. No <laughs> doubt about it. It sounds almost a little bit like um, almost a little bit like a tri-tip then if it's sort of thick at one end and thinner at the other and you direct grill it. it it's, it's, it, it's, it's probably the bottom of the size of circumference of like this, right? Oh, so, so it's almost a complete full circle and it run, it almost looks like a brisket because it's thick on the one end almost where the point would be. And it kind of flattens itself out, but it looks like a catcher's mitt. It has the creases in it, which is really unique, but wow. it is just unbelievable fall apart just and i can and this is like a 45 minute to an hour cook this is not take it to 195 204 206 if you're cooking brisket depending on your temperature this is a 115 20 ish done this let it sit for five ten minutes slice that sucker and it is unreal i mean absolutely unreal so good so good i i can see that you got a whole bunch of different uh different grills on your on your deck there which one's your favorite Oh my gosh. That's like asking me which daughter I love the most, man. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love them both. Maddie, she like follows in my footsteps. She's cooked with some of the best in the world. Wayne, Aaron, Russell Ragles. I mean, Kinsey, my six-year-old. I mean, she's got the passion and fire that I have. So I wouldn't say I have a favorite one. I mean, the, the, the greatest gift that we have, and this, this just talks about Weber as a brand. The greatest gift we have is cooking food for our family and our, and our, and our friends. And, and for me, it's it, people ask, what's your favorite thing to cook? It's never about me. It's always about the people that are eating because I want them to have the best experience they possibly can. I want them to leave like, man, that was the best brisket. That, can you believe this? Like when you come and eat a barbecue that I have, it's been known I have an endless meat cooler. Like you will not leave without having food for the next two weeks to eat because we just cook and we cook. But that's, you know, the important is I love, I love any grill that we make that makes memories, right? The kettle is so important because it's been around for almost 70 years. You've got our summit charcoal, which these things hold temperature. 
I mean, these, these girls, I could, there's, I have a picture that I have a summit charcoal with about an inch and a half to two inches of snow on it. And the temperature reads 225. That's how well insulated these are. Like the WSNs, those are part of my favorites because when you can cook, just like on the summit charcoals, when you can cook for 16, 18, 20 hours, people have such an anticipation for that barbecue that they, it's just, they, they, they really get some jazz, right? Plus it allows us to be outside a little bit more and have a little bit of the fun juice and all that good stuff that goes along with barbecue. And so it's one of those things that it's really hard for me. It's almost impossible to say which one I love the most because it's not the grill. It's the memories that we make on them. Right. And to some people, they might say, Oh no, it's gotta be WSM. You can't be cooking on a pellet. And I'm like, you know what? I've cooked great food on pellets. People didn't know the difference. They were like, man, this is one of the best briskets you ever cooked. It was on the smoke fire. Oh my God. You gotta be kidding me. Right. I, I mean, I, there was a time probably about five years ago, I cooked for our board and I did a brisket on a gas grill on the summit. And I did a brisket on a WSM and 22 out of the 23 people preferred the one off of the gas grill than the charcoal grill. Wow. Just the way it worked that just the way same brisket, same trim, same rub, same everything. So it's one of those things that, you know, I think sometimes people in their minds, they think if they don't see it, they taste it like, Oh, taste tenderness and everything else. So, but to me, it's, you know, we're fortunate because Weber is the preeminent leader, the global leader in barbecue and to be able to cook on these grills and the legend, the, the, the legendary things that have been built into this company um, and the memories that have been made in, in the backyards for people um, is, is such is such a gift, right? And and that's something that we all need to cherish. And we all need to, you know, you can always take a step back and be like, you know what, the world is the world. But when you get in the backyard, this is the most inclusive and, and, and important part of our lives to to our family and our friends. And and you know, fortunately enough for Weber, we've been around for seventy almost seventy years, and you know, we, we've been part of some of the most important memories people make. And so that's, that's, that's why it's hard for me to answer, which is my favorite girl, because I love them all because they create those memories for us. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny that you link that to memories. I, um, a couple of years ago, oh, more than a couple of years ago now, I went back through all the old family albums and I scanned them all into a, into a software, which turned them into a calendar. And one of the photos I found was, um, of a family holiday when I was a baby, like maybe one year old, maybe two years old. And, um, it's my grandparents, my father and my mother all out that they'd been on a, on a caravanning holiday. And I'm sort of sitting there on my, on my dad's knee and actually, sorry, on, on my mother's knee. Cause my dad was standing there cooking on a, on a Weber kettle. And, uh, right. well, was he cooking or was he burning? It's tough to say. There was about four inches of flame coming up over the top of whatever he was cooking. I think you and your dad came from the same school of cooking. Yeah. For, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's just um, interesting that you, that you frame it like that because it is true. It, that is the connections that we do make to our, to our grills. Um, I'm just going to go off on a little bit of a side tangent here. Um, just while you were speaking before a squirrel ran down the tree and ran across the grass behind you there. And, um, it, it just made me think of this, uh, the new Netflix barbecue game show that I'm watching at, at the moment. And I just saw the episode where they did a bunch of squirrels. So what, what is the most exotic thing that you've ever cooked on a grill? Oh my gosh. We've, we've done, <laughs> we've done, we've done some lion, we've done boar, um, done some alligator I'm trying to think of what else would be exotic um haven't got too much into the squirrels and stuff like that i mean i mean I've, I've i teach a barbecue science at ohio state and i've got to harvest some animals and we haven't harvested anything that small so i would say the most exotic would be that lion that we had from a place the boar 
and the alligator. Lion is interesting. Where were you where you got to like eat a farmed lion? Well, we had it here. So there's a, there's a place here that you can get, you can get different types of, of meat. And so that was one of the things that they had that we were able to get obviously being fabricated frozen. And then, and here, um, wasn't that exciting. Uh, just, just cause I have a, I have a palate for corn finished product and really good beef. And so it's fun to eat some of that stuff. Although you're kind of like, eh, okay. Like it's fun to have, but if I'm going to have a meal, I'd rather have some really good beef, some really good pork, some, some, some brine poultry, um, or some really good fish. I mean, that's just me, but you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So was that, um, was that an imported meat or like, do you have yeah. lion farms in the States? Well, I, I wouldn't know. I, I don't know if it was imported. I, I would have to, I mean, I have to go back. This is probably 2012. So it was a while ago, but I, I, I don't know from the place that we got it from. It's hard to say if it was imported or not, you know, like, I didn't check the label because you're like, oh man, I'm gonna be cooking lion. I don't even know where this is. Just rip open the package, put it, put it on the barbie, and start cooking. You know, like that's just what we were doing. So it's an interesting question. I probably should have paid more attention to it, but I was younger in my career then, so it was more like, we're cooking lion. This is gonna be awesome. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Uh, so, are you or have you been a a competitive barbecue? Do you get into the so KCBS and all that? Yeah. Definitely into the KCBS. I've competed at world championships. Highest we placed at a time was ninth. Um, won some grand championships on smaller levels with some teams. Judged world championships. Judged the American Royal five or six times. Um, so we dabble in a lot of different things. T- to me, competition barbecue is 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 fun. I'm not the biggest like fan of competition barbecue in itself because it is here at least a very rich man's sport, right? You got to have a lot of money, a lot of capital, which is okay. Um, but it is the only, and I'll quote one of my mentors, my barbecue Yoda, Harry Sue, and say, it's the only competition world that you could take a $299, $99 pit and go up against the best in the world and have the same chance of winning as they do. You know, but what I love about competition barbecue is the precision. And for my team, to compete and we competed last year at the world championships at, um, at, the, at the American Royal. It was their first time competing, but for me, it was more getting them to understand the precision of competition barbecue, because if we win or we don't win, it's okay. Cause we're part of the conversation. We're there, we're interacting with people. You know, I've, I've been friends with these guys, Darren and, and Tuffy and Chris Lilly and, and, and Ken Hess and, and Myron and all these guys, I've been working with them for so long, but my team necessarily hasn't. So it was great to get them part of that conversation what was cool for them is, and I'm, I was competing with the Danish national barbecue team way back in the day. And we didn't have all this luxury. Like I called Harry and was like, Harry, can you come compete with us this year? Absolutely. I'll bring Donna. So Harry Sue's cooking with my team last year at the American Royal. Oh my guys, I never get to do this myself. I had to clean all the chicken myself. I had to fabricate the shoulders. I didn't do all the rest. Like you guys are so unbelievably lucky to have the barbecue Yoda in the booth doing this, but that's, you know, that's the cool thing about barbecue. And that's, you know, on the competition side, what I love is being a part of the conversation, being part of the community and also just understanding to the guys of precision, because you get rid of the competition world. When we cook briskets, when I cook a brisket, when our team's doing it for our board or for a dinner or for whatever we're doing, we only cook one or two. So we don't have the luxury of picking the top two briskets, five briskets out of 10. We only have one or two. So you better put your heart, your soul, and every freaking ounce of barbecue energy you have of love into that thing in order to make it the best. Because if you don't, we're only as good as the last thing that we cooked, right? 
And so that's, that's the badge of honor that you wear. So when you say like, Oh, Kevin, you guys got the best job. You got the best job ever. Like, of course you do. But when you're sitting at the mountain, everybody wants to be at the top of that mountain. Right. And that's where the precision comes so much into play because every single time you have to be paying attention you do it enough times and you have enough repetition on it. I mean, it, it becomes, it becomes second nature. It's like Dustin green. He's our culinary grill master. He's one of the most talented chefs I've ever been around. He used to be the executive chef at our Weber grill restaurant in Schaumburg, but that guy can deconstruct any dish that we eat. And he's done it around the world with me. But that, when he first started, he's like, I got to learn how to cook brisket. I'm like, okay, we can try. Took him to Camp Brisket down in College Station with, with Dr. Sable and, and, and the rest of the guys. And Aaron's down there and Wayne and Russell Ragles and Brian Bracewell and Ronnie Killen. And you got all the heads of, of barbecue, the top of the top down there. And he comes back and he's, he's cooking brisket. He probably cooks 45 briskets in a matter of like five weeks, right? Wow. And he's like, you probably got to be getting sick of me texting you what's going on. And it was funny because he was getting to a point where he was getting consistent with it. Right. Because the problem, the issue was I cook such good brisket and I take such pride in it because I've learned so much from the guys in Texas that like, that's, that's for them down there. That's what you're known for. Right. And so I always took that upon myself. Like if I want to be known, I want people to come to Weber and I want them to have the best bite of brisket, the best bite of barbecue you can possibly have. Right. I don't ever want to not put the effort in. And so what he learned, and it's a good tip for the people that are doing brisket, if not competition style, but just backyard style, like good barbecue, his briskets were like 195, 200, and they were dry. And he was like, I don't understand what's going on. It's dry. I'm like, cause you're not cooking it long enough. It's counterintuitive to cooking a steak. Steak, you want to under to have more moisture. Brisket, we cooked that to 204, 206 at our temperature. Now we let that thing rest for four to six hours. So some of that moisture redistributes back in. But that was him was where the brisket wasn't tender enough because it wasn't cooked long enough. And for him, that was one of those aha moments. So that's where like, I love the process of cooking food, brisket, shoulder, whatever it is, because you get in this frame of like, when people get hung up and I've made enough mistakes in my life that you can, you can figure out where they are and help them get to where they need to go. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's great. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on Ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Alrighty, so this is the second segment of our show now, Kevin, and I want to get into your job as head grill master there at Weber. So the first thing I want to ask you is how good is your job? <laughs> My job might be the single greatest job created in the history of the world. At least that's what I think. And so, I mean, it's, it's one of the, 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 the single greatest jobs, not because of, yes, I get to be the head grill master. And that's, you know, for some people that's, that's amazing. And trust me, for me, it's, it's absolutely amazing. But my history and my lineage at Weber to, is, is the most important piece to my, to, to the, to my career. Um, when I was, I, I started out in customer service back in 2001 I got promoted to our parts store, Bill Steven, whose father started the business, George Steven, let me work in the summer times while I got my undergraduate, and my master's degree. 2006, I graduated. He let me work in the parts store. Jim Steven came into the parts store one night before he was going home. He goes, Kevin, I want to see you tomorrow in my office at 830 in the morning. I want to talk to you about a job. I almost fell over in my chair. Was pulling out of my house. Of course, it's snowing in Chicago. 
I have a Camaro at the time, so I couldn't get up a hill. My car got stuck. <laughs> so my wife had to come. I had to get in her car, fire off to work to, to, to finally meet him at 830 and to have Jim Steven create a position for me doing product training way back in, in 2006 was, 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 a, was a dream. And then I just worked my way up. And what was cool is I was doing company tours at the time. Edna Slosher, who was our head chef at our R&D lab, whose husband, Eric Slosher, came out with our first, I mean, he designed our first Genesis grill along with Jim. He came out with the Weber Smoky Mountain Cooker. He, he has so many patents under his name. Both of those two were mentors for me for my whole career. I mean, every morning I would get into work at seven, check emails, check blogs, check food blogs. I'd go over to Edna. We'd have, she'd have a cup of coffee. We'd talk about what we were going to cook. And for six or seven straight years, we would drive to a store, pick up food, pick up sides, the R and D lab, which we would cook for, they would pay the three bucks and we would cook the main proteins. And that's how I learned how to cook, not to test, not necessarily to cook for flavor, but just to cook the test. And so what was so cool in that time was because I was associated with Edna and there wasn't a lot of people at Weber that were like truly diehard passionate about food. Like I just was like, I'm doing company tours. I'm, I'm, I'm interacting with the R and D guys. So I know how we're engineering. And Edna was like, Hey, Kevin, like this chicken's coming to come on the date. Do you want to, you want to take it home and cook it? And I'm like, I'm getting free meat now. Like, <laughs> this, is, this, this is totally kick ass. I got free meat. And then like a couple months later, because of all the stuff that I was learning and just, I mean, just being a sponge because you're around some of the smartest people in barbecue when it comes to engineering. Right. I mean, we have the, the level of talent that Weber has when it comes to barbecuing, designing, engineering is just all, absolutely off the charts. And so they were like, Hey, Kevin, we have this prototype. You want to take this home? And I was like, I get to take a prototype home. And this is the WSM when we redesigned it with the deeper water pan on the 18, put the thermometer in the lid, you know, all those upgrades. I was part of that. Like my WSM had a thermometer in the lid, the midsection in the bowl. I had to wake up every hour and check those temperatures along with the meat temperatures. But I was like, I'm getting free meat. I got a grill. They're paying for my charcoal. Like, this is the absolute best job <laughs> in the world. That was like 10 years ago, right? So you're like, well, how could it get any better? And so you build on that. And the marketing people were so good about it that, you know, they were like, hey, Kev, you want to try to do, you know, an interview? Do you want to try doing a TV show? Do you want to try to film the commercials? Like, I still have the original lid from a food show that I did my first food show with Emeril Lagasse and Bobby Flay, and they signed it for me along with uh, Stephen Reichland, who's still a good friend. Um, so it was, I mean, you got all these memories of the people that you learn from, right? Cause it's your lineage. And that's the best thing that we can do for, for whatever it's aspect is, is pass it down. And, you know, it's, I've gotten a lot of compliments and, you know, I get to do a lot of unbelievable things for Weber, things that I would never think I've been able to do. And, you know, I had a conversation with Jim and I'm still really close with Jim and Bill and to have them both in different conversation, be like, Kevin, there's no one that's going to be able to bring this brand to life. Like you did our dad, man, you brought this thing to the market. He did all these things, but the way that you bring this to life, the passion, the love you have for this brand, the way that you always stand in the shadow of it. We like to say the shadow of the kettle, you always let the kettle shine and you, you know, always make sure that you're making it shine. Um, what, what was the best compliments? And so, for, for me, like I could retire tomorrow and be the happiest man alive because I've been able to travel to 16 different countries, teach and barbecue, film TV shows, do all this amazing things. But to be able to know that Jim Steven and Bill Steven gave me my jobs, whose father started the business, to be able to work in, in, in a culture 
that we have such extremely talented people. I mean, and, and to be able to have an impact around the world is just awesome. And so it's so humbling. And so you, you want to be excited about it, but you're like, man, it's just, what's the next meal we're cooking? What's the next thing we're doing? Because you always want to make sure that you're protecting and fostering it. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's such a beautiful thing. And I, and I talked about it earlier about the memories people make and without people like myself and the people that work at Weber and, your, and, and yourself, Ben, who, who, who allow us to talk about it and how important it is to everybody's families and their memories and their backyards. I mean, it, it's all part of that puzzle that we all have a piece to that, that helps keep barbecue pushing forward. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of, um, of, of expressing that. And it's, it's amazing to hear that they actually created that role for you. That, that's, that's just amazing. That's like once in a lifetime experience. So yeah, that's a, I, I think we're all yeah, even more me. jealous of you now. Tr- trust me, there was no other grill masters, no other anybody in Weber besides me. And so it was just one of those things that I kind of, I was in the right place at the right time. And I used the, you know, the, the, ad, I was just attracted to the fire and the food. And what I loved about Edna and she was the head chef at R and D lab for 35 years, who I would call the original grill master. I mean, she had the voice of Jim and our executives. Like if a grill wasn't working, they would ask her, they wouldn't ask the engineers. They wouldn't ask anybody else. Edna, is it working? And she would tell them yes or no. And why, and why not? And I mean, she, she had their ear. And so, it was, it was just so powerful to see how much she had an impact on the business with the role she had. She wasn't a C-suite executive, but she had the same level of, 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 of insight, the same level of directness and the input that made a product either go forward or slow itself down. And to see that and not have the title, but have the respect was amazing. And so I've been fortunate. I mean, I've, I've, I've lived on the shoulders of giants like Jim Steven, Bill Steven, Mike Kempster Sr. I mean, you, you got Michael McDonald that runs the, the, the Australian side of Weber. Uh, you got Edna, you got Eric, you got Harry Sue, you got Tuffy, you got Chris Lilly, you've got Myron, you got all these people that I've been able to cook with, I can talk to and interact with. Like I've truly lived on the shoulders of giants. And my job now, it, so what I see at the end of my career is help that legacy, help create the next generation of barbecuers, help people where, I possibly where I, where I can and, and continue to help build this, this fantastic brand that is, that has created these amazing memories for myself and everybody around the world. Yeah, no doubt about that for sure. Um, I, I think my, no, it not, not, I think it definitely was the first, uh, uh, barbecue that I took to competition was an old Weber kettle that, um, the previous owner of my house had left down the back of the garden shed. And that's how I got into charcoal cooking was I found this old Brown Weber down the back of the garden shed and went, Ooh, what's this? Let's play with this. So, uh, yeah. Um, so you, you've been with Weber for, for quite some time now. How, how have you seen Weber change in that, uh, two decades now? I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely changed. I think, I think the fun, the fun part of seeing the change is how much we're trying to evolve as a brand and create better products for our consumers. I mean, it's, it's, it's so extremely important and I've, and I've seen it from, almost 20 years ago till now. And you're like, wow, is this totally fast forwarded? But the, but the great thing is, is we're trying to do more, right? I mean, we have such great executives right now at our business. I mean, you have Mike Jacobs who runs our, who's, who's our operating guy who runs all purchasing, all manufacturing, but that guy, not only does he do probably the single greatest job at Weber right now, he is so passionate about barbecue. Our CFO, Bill Horton, who 
is so passionate about barbecue. He'll FaceTime me on the weekends if he's got a problem or if he's cooking. I need help doing this. What the heck is going on? Like, it is so exciting to be a part of the organization because so many people want such good things for the brand, right? And, and that's the, the, the energy that we need to help things going forward. And you can become stagnant at times, right? Because, oh, you've got the grills and you got the brand and everything else. But it's so good when you can bring in new life and new energy and new people into the brand that really are excited about it. They can see the potential of it and get us to where we need to go to the next level because we want to be here. Like my biggest challenge is in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I want my daughters to be cooking in the backyard on a Weber kettle. And that's the legacy and the lineage that we need. Right. And so that's where you see the change, but it's such a positive change because they're constantly looking for how to make it better. Right. And not saying that we weren't doing that before because we were, but the market is so much faster. Now you have so many more brands going to market, so many more grills out in the marketplace that instead of us trying to fast forward and make missteps and trying to do things, we still do that same calculated grilling design, testing, engineering, and everything else to make sure we're creating those perfect barbecues for people's backyards because we want them to have that perfect experience now and 15, 20 years from now. Right. I like to say that Weber is a perfect marriage of art and science, right? We've perfected that science. So you're allowed to perfect the art form. You can paint that brisket with whatever seasoning you like. You can do whatever you want to it with the wood and all that other great things. But that pit is going to stay the same. That, this, this summit gas grill we got in the back here, the 670, it's going to stay the same temperature every time I cook on it. So that steak that I put on it, I know. After three or four cooks, this is how it's going to cook, and it's going to come out perfect the way I like it every single time. And that's the importance of what we do. And it's an honor, and it's a privilege, and that's where, you know, we're spending more time on that, which is so exciting for the brand and so exciting. to. I mean, I know what we have coming out the next couple of years, and this is an extremely exciting time right now. Is there anything that, that you're able to share about what's coming out? We have a lot of great things coming out in the next couple of years. <laughs> Okay, that's the that's the official company line. Fair enough. All you, right. you got it now. There's some advantages to doing it now, but that is yeah. no, we, have, we have a lot of cool things. Yeah, I I don't doubt that at all. So, what would you say has been the the hardest part of your of your job as head grill master? I think the 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 hardest part of the job is just the the weekends away from home, the amount of travel. Because you don't like people look at it like, oh, Kevin, you've been to Japan. You get to go over the world. I go into Japan. I land at X amount of time. I'm in a grocery store at 9 a.m., which I only got two hours of sleep because of the time change. And then you're, you're cooking till 12 a.m. And then you're up the next day at nine. And then you're doing the classes with whoever till 10 o'clock. And then the next day you're doing PR events. And the next day you're doing this. And the next day you're doing this. And then by the time you figure it out, you're already on a plane back home. And you're like, I didn't even get to see the city. Like, man, this is great. Like, I was in Tokyo, but I didn't get to see anything. And so, I mean, the, the grind um, can definitely be a challenge. Keeping the energy can be a challenge. But, the, you know, the cool thing is, and this is what I love about Weber, my job, and, and, and you said it like it is an envious job. Like, trust me, I know everybody wants my job. I know everybody wants to take the job. I, I know everybody's, I could do what Kevin could do. I could do this. And I'm friends with Kevin and everything else. But what's so unbelievably cool and humbling to me is, I've been to so many different countries. I've taught barbecue in different countries. I've judged competitions in different countries. I've cooked. And as long as I have my Weber and I'm surrounded by people that love Weber, I feel like I'm at home. And that's been the, 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 as hard as it is to travel and on planes, off planes and delays and the grind and 
you know, you're only as good as your last cook and you don't have any energy left in you, but you know, you have to find it because it's the brand and you want to protect the brand. And it's always about the brand, the brand, the brand. And I would never want anybody else to do it because I know what it takes to stay up till 4am one night and then stay up till 5am the next night and stay up to 6am the next night and not get any sleep and then sleep the whole way on a plane on a 19 hour flight because you don't have any energy left, but that's what you do for the brand. Right. And that's, that's, that's to, to be able to be around the world doing that with people that share the same passion. You don't feel so alone, right? You go home to a hotel, you wake up, but then you're surrounded by passionate people, right? Like you've got Daniel Pike down there. You've got Laura, you've got, what is it? The, the, the HD, I can't remember his name. He tags me a lot from Australia down there. I mean, you have so many passionate people, the suck knuckle smokers guy, like you have so many great people that, that give you that extra energy, right? And you feed, I mean, I feed off of that no matter where I'm at, because it's like, you want to be tired, but for them, man, they're so excited. You're like, okay, I got to find the energy. And then you could, you could sleep it off and you move on. But it's, it's, it's been the coolest, most rewarding thing. As long as I feel I'm surrounded by this kettle, our products and our family, man, life is not bad. So it, it, it could be bad. The travel's a grind, but I tell you what, like when you're out there doing this stuff and, the, and you're surrounded by the Weber family, man, life is good. Life is really good. Yeah, I'd imagine that, that you'd have that family everywhere you go to, given what we were saying before about how long Weber's been the brand in, in barbecue and just how fanatical people are about it all around the world. Um, so what would you say has been the, the best experience that you've had as, as head grillmaster? I think the, the best experience I've had, and this, this speaks to Weber, is traveling to so many different countries, doing so many things from Brazil to Germany to Denmark to let's see, Japan, Korea, Singapore, Canada, Mexico, wherever we are. Um, the most important thing is barbecue transcends culture, right? And it brings people together. And Weber does that better than anybody else in the world. And what is so unbelievably cool is when we get back to that art and science comment, here's meat, here's pork, here's poultry, here's fish, here's vegetables, right? Everybody has the same proteins. How they paint those canvases their way and being able to let them explain that, understand why, and learn from them. It's such a powerful thing, especially nowadays with what everything that's going on. This barbecue, this brand brings people together. And that's the most important thing. That I mean, that's been the most rewarding thing that I've seen, that I've been a part of, that I'm humbled by, that I love the most, is we transcend culture. We transcend all that stuff. We bring people together better than anybody else in the world. And to be able to be a part of that and be able to bring cultures and people together and sit around a fire sit around food, talk about things. I mean, the cool thing about Weber, and this is seven years, we've been in the backyard. We've listened to some of the most important conversations that families have had about a myriad of different topics, political, everything else. And that's, a, that's, that's, that's such a respectful and honorable thing that we've done that that's the importance. That's the greatest thing that I've seen that I've been able to accomplish and everything else from filming TV shows and commercials and working with some of the best chefs in the world and pit masters, and you get to do all these cool things, but to see how this brand brings people together around the world and how it transcends that culture and makes everybody feel important in the backyard is the greatest thing I've, I've been able to accomplish and see is, is, is what, and what I do. You're listening to the internationally awarded smoking hot confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd, Ben Arnott. Alrighty, Kevin, we're in the third segment now. We're in the home straight. You're almost there. Don't worry. Um, and I, I, I thought that we might um, 
have a bit of a chat about something that you said earlier that sort of uh, struck my interest there. Uh, you teach meat science at Ohio State University. Tell us a bit more about, about meat science. Give us a lesson in meat science. So, so we've been fortunate that we partnered with, with the Ohio State University probably seven years ago. We have a barbecue science class on campus now that we, that we go in and teach uh, seven weeks and we go through all the proteins. And so some of the most important things that I've learned in barbecue came from Weber but I like to say it's my four pillars of barbecue. Give me a good pit. Give me good meat. Give me good seasoning. Give me good methodology. If I got those four things, everything else is going to be pretty much taken care of. But from my perspective, how I could teach you is if you're something happened somewhere, I can look in those four areas and figure out where it was. Your methodology was either off the seasoning. You didn't season it early enough, or you didn't have enough of this. Your meat quality wasn't good because you went to a different place. You didn't fab it. You didn't, it was late, whatever it was. And then, your pit, right? Cause you get your charcoal and you know, we going down to camp risk and working with the guys down in Texas. Like we've moved from using chunks to logs. We use our charcoal and our WSMs. We bank it on the sides. We put two or three logs down the center. We let our chimneys on top of those, drop our hot charcoal on, let it sit for 10 minutes, eventually put it together, get that beautiful light smoke coming out of the top of it. But we found that that wood being nine to 15% humidity gives us such a different flavor and profile on our barbecue. It's just absolutely better because some of the wood chunks are things they've been kiln dried. So it, they flash and they fire faster, which you get some of that bad impurity off of. So we take care of that on the meat science side, like you got to control that, you know, and where you get your meat from is so important. Like I like getting my meat from the same place because it usually looks the same, fabricates the same, you know, there isn't many things that change much into it. So I know that I'm predisposed right there to, to come out with some pretty good results. And then I know my methodology and I know my seasoning. And so everything else gets, gets much easier. And so when you look at the grass fed beef versus the grain fed and the Wagyu's and the A5's, the A9's and everything else, like all that stuff is important because for you as a consumer, for somebody that's cooking, when you're getting something more and more expensive to put on your grill, the opportunity for error becomes even greater because that meat wasn't, that brisket wasn't $75. Now it's $275, right? And so your mind frame now is like, oh my God, I got to check it more. I got to do all this more. And you get off the track of like, hey man, just put it on the barbie, put it on the web. Like, let it go, stick to the same methodology. It's all going to be okay. But people get so different in mindset. And, and that's where like, when you can get set up, and you get that methodology taken care of and you get really good meat and you take that grain finished product that has that sweetness and that great beef fat to it that, you know, you, you're pretty much on, onto a, a, an equation for success, right? And spending enough time down in Texas, like I love all, all types of things that you can grill, but brisket and beef ribs are, are probably my two best cooks because I've spent the most time doing those, um, I know what I, I know those things in and out. I know where they are, even if they're not, if they're stalling, if they're not. And I take so much extreme pride in them because when you can get a slice of that stuff and it is absolutely perfect, everybody is happy. And, and that's what you chase. That's what we all chase. Right. But having a great grill, like having a WSM, having a summit charcoal, having a grill that you can do that on a kettle. I mean, your, your, your chances get exponentially better that you can be that grill master after that meal. Right. And, and, and at least I like to explain it. We got two reasons why we drink when we barbecue, right? First reason we drink to forget. 
because we didn't cook very well, so we're just going to have a little bit more so we don't remember what we did the last time. Or we're going to drink to celebrate because we just killed this brisket and absolutely everybody loved it and we murdered it. So And so that's where, you know, I, I chase that. We, we drink to celebrate as opposed to drinking to forget. Always, always prefer to, uh, to to drink to celebrate myself. It uh, usually ends better at, at the end of the evening. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah. Now you you mentioned the the humidity in the in the wood. I'm I'm assuming that that's the moisture content, nine to fifteen percent. Correct. You said that nine to fifteen percent is your preferred uh, moisture range, as opposed to what? Like what's what's a bad moisture so, range? So if you got a green, if you got a green wood, if it, it's been sitting for a while, it's fresh. Like that thing is going to be giving you harsh flavor. Isn't going to burn correctly. Um, you're going to have a lot of that heavy smoke, that white smoke coming out of it, that pillowy smoke. It's going to create that burping up feeling that you'll have an hour or two later on down the line. Now, granted. You know, we have a lot of girls in our backyards. If you don't like who you're cooking for, at least some of the party, do that to their food, right? So then maybe they won't come back. It's a way to get away from having bad friends. And then you use, you know, the good food for the other people. But we like, you know, by the science of that, spending a lot of time down at, at Texas A&M with Dr. Nick, you know, when you get your, I think it's a micrometer, not 100% positive. So don't quote me on it. But if you can test the humidity of the wood, the 9 to 15% is ideal for smoking. Anything less, it's going to flash faster. It's going to, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, it's going to start itself on fire faster. Right. And so the moment that it does that is when you get the bad impurities. And when you get that, that's the harshness, that's the other things. And so if we can keep that wood at that nine to 15%, we can have the pit set correctly where you're getting that nice white or light blue, clear smoke coming out of it. You still get that beautiful gas getting pulled from the inside of the wood, you're just not getting the harshness that you would get if it's firing too hot or firing too cold. Yeah, interesting. That's um, that's interesting to to hear that you've pointed out that sort of that that the greener the wood, the more likely you are to get indigestion afterwards. I have not heard that before. Well, you know, you do it enough times, you're like, what the heck just happened? And and so that's where like a lot of the at least here, the wood chunks and stuff that we have here, if it's sold like in Indiana versus Illinois versus Wisconsin, it's got to get kiln dried twice because of bugs and other things that could be in the wood. And so you pull a lot of that moisture out. So it flashes faster. So you don't have that same really great aroma that you normally would have if you can find a log or things that are sold in logs because they're going to have that extra stuff in there. And so for us, it was a game changer about four years ago, coming back from Camp Riscuit, we found a place in Chicago that we can get wood from. And so we get white oak or post oak from them. And our beef product has gone through the roof because we get that same aroma, that same flavor. And we use smoke as a seasoning, right? I mean, many of you guys do the same thing. We use smoke as a seasoning. And so I want that beautiful tint, that beautiful flavor, but I don't want the harshness of it. And that's where it can get away from people. But, you know, getting your pit set up is important. How you set that up, giving it 10 or 15 minutes to equalize, not rushing yourself. I mean, a normal brisket for us is a, is a 20 to 22 hour cook. That's usually 14 hours, 12 to 14 on the pit and another four to six hours on the rest. And so that's just how we do it. And that's how we come out with them. But that resting point is just that resting time is just as important as the total cook time. Yeah. So have you found that there's a, like a optimum resting time for different proteins? Like brisket needs to be at least an hour, 15 and a steak needs to be no more than 12 minutes, that sort of thing. Well, 
so what's cool is, so we, we just came out with Weber Connect in our smoke fire. And so we had to test about 800 different cuts of meat, sizes of steak and everything else. So what we found, anything less than 20 minutes, anything you're going to be grilling, the cook, the, the whole time is about five minutes. Because we've found, and this is by science, it's not just Kevin's opinion, although I have a lot of those about barbecue. This is factual now, which is important. We're seeing you've, it anywhere between the, the third. We've got the data, which takes me out of the equation. I'm like, hey, I'm not the bad guy in this whole thing. It's the data. Blame that. But what we found is anywhere between 14 to 17 degrees increases when you let it rest. And so the thicker something is, like, it's it's weird. You would think you got an inch and a half to two inch thick steak. You grill that thing over direct heat. I mean, that thing's going to rest five minutes. You're going to take it off at 98 degrees for medium rare, it's going to jump up to, it's, it's going to jump almost 17 degrees just sitting there because all that energy is, is now in there. So it's, it's really weird how food reacts to holding. Now briskets, you know, the guys in Texas that we learn from how we replicate, we like a four to six hour hold. We wrap in butcher paper. We then finish it with a light of foil. People ask why I use the foil. I love the foil. I wrap around 180 to 185. I love putting the butcher paper on to protect that beefy flavor. I like the foil because I can protect the juice. And the butcher paper allows all that stuff to get to the grill. My grill does not care about that beautiful golden fat. I love that liquefied fat. One, I can put it over the top of the brisket when I serve it, and it's got a beautiful sheen to it that makes that sucker pop like I can't even imagine. The rest of it goes into dishes like our mac and cheese. We've taken it and put it in ice cream that we've made. We've taken it in the vegetables. We've made beef butter that goes on the top of steaks that we've done. And so that brisket fat, although you don't need the foil, and I get why people stay away from, you know, wanting to crunch it down and, and pat it down because it affects the bark. I like lightly going over the top because I want to save that and I want to use it for other things. And so that's what we do. But we the four to six hour hold. Letting those things rest, come down the temperature, letting some of that moisture redistribute it back, like the brisket quality that we've done since letting it rest in an oven at 170 and just keeping it, you know, hot, but open it up, letting some of that heat out. I mean, the brisket quality is, is off the charts now. And that was probably four or five years ago that we've done. Wow, that's really interesting stuff. But I, I just got to ask, though, how was the brisket fat ice cream? The brisket fat ice cream was absolutely amazing. And so I got, I got really? that idea from a place in Arizona because they were doing, they actually did a bacon gelato. And so what I figured out is they didn't put the bacon into the actual gelato. They put it into the maple syrup that went on top of it. But you use that tangy beef fat, you mix that around a little bit of bacon. And I can't remember if, what, what, what the name of the ice cream is that Dustin and I kind of came up with, but that was one of the desserts that we did for our board dinner, which it was on a waffle and it came out fantastic because it just had enough of that tangy smoky flavor that was amazing. And that's where you like, you get into the fun stuff with stuff like Jason Pruitt. He's one of our, our, our barbecue experts here, crazy talented from the South. He was doing a cream corn that we were doing for a board meeting. And I walked by it and I was like, I smelled the corn was off. I was like, that, that corn's over smoke. Like this, this isn't going to work. Right. And then, so all of a sudden I'm like, Jay, this ain't going to work. And we didn't have any more corn. Like somebody had to go out and get it. So what we did is we actually took the corn, put it in milk and infused the milk with the smoke that was on the corn. And it absolutely came out amazing, which was funny because we had our board in from all over the world. And all of a sudden, Three of the guys come out of that dinner are like, what was in that cream corn? I got to get that recipe. It was the greatest. It was a great. I was like, get out of here. What about the meat? There was a cream <laughs> corn. And that's where 
you know, the fun part is when you when you work with such talented people like Dustin, like Jason Prude, who have such a knack for food and can look at things in a different lens and understand the importance of barbecue, right? Like we've done really important, crazy menus and people really didn't like them that much. But when we do traditional barbecue, but do it up, upscale a little bit, man, people go bananas. And that's where, when you look at, you guys got like Daniel down there, you've got Laura, who's extremely talented that works for Weber. I mean, knows a ton. That's the cool thing about what we get to do for Weber is bring it to life for people and inspire them. And, and, and I'm luckily I'm surrounded by people all over the world that do that for Weber. And I'm, I'm lucky and unfortunate because as much as they learn from what I do, I learn way more from what they do. Beautiful, man. That's very well said. Look, that's a good point for us to sort of start to uh, wrap up this this episode. So I'd like to throw it over to you now. Give some shout outs, give some thanks to whoever you would like to who's who supported you along the way and tell everybody where they can follow your adventures on on the internet. Yeah, so so we've been, I mean, so fortunate and I, and I call it like, you know, your dojo, your senseis, who you've learned from, right? And I've been fortunate that from Jim and Bill to give me my jobs to work with that and to to you know, one of my first things I got to do was with Tuffy Stone and I'm working with him and Mo and, you know, Tuffy's like, well, Kevin, what do you think about this? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you should be telling me what's going on. I'll be telling you like, this is not right. So, all right, Kevin, that's what we're going with. And I was like, this is unbelievable. And so, you know, I've got to set world records with Chris Lilly and, and, and work with him and work with Mo and work with Tuffy and work with, you know, the best in the industry Harry Sue, right? One of the greatest ambassadors of barbecue, sweet baby Ray, who's a really close friend of mine. Um, Amy and Mike Mills, like I, I've got to do a lot in the world of barbecue and the, and the greatest thing that we can do is give back. And when you have people like Daniel, when you have people like the suck knuckle smokers, when you have Laura, who does a crazy good job in Australia, um, I'm trying to think of other, what is it? HD. I can't remember what, what his name is off the top of my head, but he links me a lot in Australia. Like it's so great to see how, our barbecue. And I think as, as, as a community and as a country, barbecue is our, is our cuisine, right? I mean, it's something that people chase, but to see how much that's embraced in Australia, to see how much the meat stocks have taken off and how important that is to the barbecue culture there, you know, to be able to, 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 to know I'm somebody in barbecue cause I got the maca apron and I got the maca roll. Like <laughs> it's such, it's such, it's such a great, it's such a great thing. And so, you know, shout out to all the people, that have helped me that continue to inspire me. I and mean, you got Michael and Damien, you know, Michael P. Clive from Canada, you got Damien Chung, who's up in Canada, who's one of the most, you know, I could listen to him talk hours and hours about food because he's so extremely talented. You know, it, it's just, I've been able to be surrounded by some pretty amazing people. And the coolest thing is, is being able to learn and, and comprehend and understand how they do things and being open about it. And I think that's what, what Weber does for folks is it opens a lot of doors because it isn't a very standoffish thing. And, you know, people like yourself to help continue to promote that is extremely important. And, you know, we're fortunate because we live in a world where barbecue is inclusive, that it does bring people together. It is humble. It isn't standoffish. It isn't exclusive. And, and it's, it's such a great community. And so, that's part of what I want to continue to do for Weber and continue to do for people around the world is, is, is make it like that. And you can, you know, follow me on Instagram at Kevin underscore Coleman and on Facebook and follow, follow what you're doing, Ben and everything else. And if I could ever help out like I am right now, please let me know. I mean, we're so excited. I was so happy when you reached out and you're like, you really want to do this podcast? I'm like, hell yeah, I want to do this podcast. Like what? I do. I, I talk to enough people in Australia. It's going to be nice to be able to talk to somebody face to face on this. So thank you 
for all that you do for barbecue and the inspiration. I know it's early in the morning there. Now we're, 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 we're talking, but you know, that's, that's the thing about barbecue is we don't, we don't usually sleep much and, but we usually have the most fun. So thank you again for letting us come on. Well, mate, thank you. Um, and, and thanks for, for being on the show. You've, uh, you've certainly shared a, shared a lot of wisdom with us and definitely a lot of enthusiasm. I'm, I'm on fire now. I want to go outside and, and, and go and go cook something right now. Um, it's only uh, nine o'clock in the morning here now, so I've got the day ahead of me. I've, I think I'm going to go head down to the butcher and see what I can find. But yeah, no, thanks for coming on board the show and best of luck with everything um, in, the, in the future. Thank you so much again, Ben. Have a great rest of the day. Make sure you tag me with whatever you buy at the butcher today and what you put on your barbie because I want to see it. And there you have it, family. That was Kevin Coleman, head grill master from Weber. How enthusiastic is that guy? That is infectious. His his love for barbecue and his love for Weber is really clear. And we are so lucky that he was able to spend that time with us today. So we did get to get into his background and how he got into barbecue. And we got into uh, his job as head grill master there and how that came about. And then we did close out the the interview there with a with a spot on on meat science there. And I found that really interesting, the points he was saying about the humidity in the wood. That's um, the the moisture content. That was some really interesting stuff for me in there. So just to close out, I just want to just remind you that free mini ebook is still available over on smokinghotconfessions.com. If you're just getting into barbecue, this is for you. It's the beginner's guide to real barbecue. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com. Click around, have a look around. The pop-up is going to pop up pop your details in there and we'll pop it straight into your uh, email inbox for you. Um, And I think that's about all the time that we do have for today. So give us a like and a share, give us a rating and a review, all that sort of good stuff. That really helps us out. And until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips and Ben's own confessions.